Please remain standing and, and pray with me. Almighty God, we come before you this morning, weak, vulnerable children of yours, desperately in need of your power and your strength in our lives, not only just to sustain us from your good creation, but Lord, also by your spirit's power to equip us and strengthen us for the task that you have laid before us in this church and in this city. And so we appeal to you today, strengthen us, strengthen my preaching of the word and strengthen all of our hearing of what your spirit has for us this morning. We commend ourselves to your love and presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible there in the pew or if you want to look on your phone, I would invite you to turn to Judges chapter 6, uh, our, our Old Testament lesson this morning, uh, and we'll be looking there uh, for the, the most part. Um, I was actually excited to see this passage assigned in the lectionary uh, for two reasons. Uh, first, Judges 6 through 8, the Gideon narrative, is probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture um, of all time. Uh, it's right there on my top 10 list, uh, near 1 and 2. Uh, and Judges itself is probably one of the most fascinating books. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a horrible book in one sense, but it's, a, it's so well told. It draws you into the story in different ways to make evaluations, and the reader kind of subtly crushes you along the way. Um, that sounds like a wonderful book to read. If you like Russian literature, it might be the one for you. Um, but Judges is a wonderful book, and the Gideon narrative above all the stories there, I, I love. But I'm also excited about this passage because I think it adds something important to what fathers David and Ben have been teaching and challenging us concerning the body of Christ and spiritual gifts for the past three Sundays. When we talk of spiritual gifts, or for that matter, any type of gift or talent, skill, whatever we possess in this life, because remember, all of, all of human life is a gift. If God is the creator and we are dependent creatures, everything that we have in this world is a gift because we depend on things external to us to live, whether that's oxygen or food, all of which come from God. So we are all dependent upon the gifts that God gives to us. So when we talk about spiritual gifts or any gift for that matter given by God, we must also address what is so often the chief danger. And here's the chief danger. That we come to assume in thought or practice that our own strength, our own strength animates and empowers the gifts that God has given to us. Let me say that one more time. Here's the chief danger. That we come to assume in thought and practice that our own strength animates and empowers the gifts that God has given to us. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the, the passage that kind of started off this almost on a mini-series on spiritual gifts uh, three or four weeks ago with Father David. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is very clear about whose strength is to animate and empower the gifts that God gives, the services that he gives, the activities that he animates. Listen just verses 4 through 6 in that passage of 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God. And here's the the key phrase here, who empowers them all and everyone. And listen also to verse 11. Paul says, furthermore, all these gifts, all the ones that he enumerates, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit. Paul is clear. 
The gifts that we have been given are energized and made effective by the power of God that is available to us through the Spirit of God who indwells us, who indwells each and every baptized believer in this congregation. God has given each one of you, he has uniquely gifted each one of you. We've been saying that over and over again, but I hope you know there is some measure of the fact that you are a unique snowflake. God has uniquely gifted you with gifts that everyone in this congregation needs. Someone in this congregation needs the gift of God that he has given to you. And there are people outside of this congregation, this world, that need the gift of God that he has given to you. You are uniquely gifted by God for the building up of his church and for the life of the world. These God-given gifts run on the power of God. Just as your car runs on fuel, these gifts run on the power of God that is available to us through his spirit. Each one of us has access to this power, to God's power, by means of his Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us. It's the same power that we heard in our reading from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul's talking about the gospel, the thing is of for, the foremost importance is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Paul says to the Ephesian church in chapter 1, know this, that you have access to the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the kind of power that I'm talking about, that God is talking about, that is available to you through his spirit. The spirit that energized Jesus, Jesus' dead lifeless body after three days in the grave is the same spirit that energizes you and will energize the gifts of God in your life. Yet so often, when we, and this is just a human, this is not anything directed at any one person, this is kind of categorically how we are as humans. So often we use or attempt to use our spiritual gifts or any gift that God has given us. We do so trying in this tension between our own power and the power of God. We face a choice when we want to live our lives, when we want to exercise our gifts, we face a choice between two competing and mutually exclusive views concerning what is true strength and power. Our lesson from Judges 6 presents Gideon set between these two choices concerning the nature of true strength and power in this world to get things done. Because God equips us for a purpose, to get a task done, whether it's what we heard in our past lessons from 1 Corinthians, to build up the church for the common good of the body, or whether it's to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in this world, to build the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. God gives us gifts to get things done, to do things in this world and in the body. And even when we do things that God has called us to, there is still this choice to be made. Will we follow after the strength that God provides, or will we follow after this second choice, our own strength? These two choices concerning true strength are expressed at both ends of the Gideon narrative, in chapter 6 of Judges and also in chapter 8. The first choice is found in that portion that was read for us, that Brian read for us, in chapter 6, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord declares to Gideon, he declares this, The Lord is with you, O mighty 
man of valor. This view claims, this view of true strength and power claims that the presence of God is the source of it. God's presence with a man or with a woman is what makes them mighty. A mighty man of valor, a mighty woman of valor. It is the presence of God. This is what Paul has already told us about in 1 Corinthians 12. It is the Spirit of God that animates these gifts in us. The second choice is found in chapter 8, verse 21. And these are found on the words of Zeba and Zalmunna, ancient Midianite kings. Now, this is important because kings in the ancient Near East were seen as sages, the ones who spoke the best wisdom, right? The, the Code of Hammurabi, all these ancient kind of law codes and writings of wisdom were all written from the voice of the king. So this is the alternative kings telling you an alternative vision of the world, an alternative understanding of what is true strength and power. And so we see that second choice there in 821 in the words of Zeb and Zalmunna when they speak to Gideon. After Gideon has commanded his young son, and, and the Hebrew is really clear, this is a boy in essence, who Gideon has commanded to take a sword and kill these two kings. As you would imagine, any small boy grabbing the hilt of a heavy sword with the prospects of ending two people's lives, was afraid. So afraid he could not do it, would not do it, paralyzed by the fear. And then Zeba and Zalmunna offer this. They say to Gideon, rise yourself and fall upon us, for the measure of a man is in his own strength. Rise yourself and fall upon us, for the measure of a man is in his own strength. So Gideon is set between these two choices. On the one hand, God claims that true strength comes from his abiding presence. I am with you. You now are a mighty man of valor. And on the other hand, these Midianite kings claim that true strength comes from within a person. Do it yourself. Don't you know that the measure of a man is in his own strength? Two competing visions about what is true strength and power in this world, both spoken by kings. The king of all the earth and two kings from the ancient Near East, kings of, the, of Midian. And likewise, each one of us is set between these two choices when it comes to exercising our spiritual gifts or when it comes to exercising our life, period, right? Because all of life is a gift. What source of strength or power will you draw upon? What source of strength or power will you draw upon to use your God-given gifts? As we move through this passage this morning, we encounter two objections that Gideon makes to the angel of the Lord and to the Lord himself. If, if you've noticed, the angel of the Lord and the Lord are kind of blurred lines. You know, it'll drop out and there'll be the Lord speaking, it'll be the angel of the Lord speaking, and that's meant to show that God is actually there present with him, even though he's kind of objecting that God is ever present. Uh, and so the angel of the Lord, the Lord are falling out. But Gideon makes these two objections when the Lord claims that I am with you, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And then we also see how God responds. And I think these are instructive. One, because Gideon, his objections give voice to what we feel, in a sense, when we are, are, are put in front of us the options of exercising spiritual gifts or living, life that, or living a life that is pleasing to God. The first objection that Gideon makes is that the difficult circumstances of life, the difficult circumstances of life 
appear to speak against God's presence and power. Listen to verses 12 and 13 in Judges chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where were all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon responds to the angel's claim that the Lord is with him, in essence, by saying, Oh, really? Really? I couldn't tell. Is he really with us? Am I over here in a wine press threshing wheat? Am I living in a cave right now? I could not tell that God was with us. Actually, actually, angel of the Lord, it seems that God has abandoned us, doesn't it? So if he's with us, then why has all this happened? If God is present in our lives, why do these difficult things occur? And I'm sure many of us have felt this way before and maybe are feeling this way now and have even asked these sorts of questions to God. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family, to my friend? God, where are you? Why has this happened? Where's your power? And Gideon's response is helpful here because it does give voice to a common objection to the claim that God is with us. Namely, that the difficult circumstances of life speak against God's presence and by extension, his power. And this objection to God's presence can easily, easily paralyze us. Right, when we, and it's not to say, listen, listen, please hear me clearly. I'm not saying that these questions are wrong or sinful to ask. We listen, listen, read the Psalms, hear the laments. You hear the psalmist engaging with the Lord in raw and honest ways with the difficult situations that face them in life. So the questions themselves are not wrong. But when we ponder them, when we live with them for so long, they begin to become a paralyzing force in our life. We begin to listen to the darkest moments in our life more so than the moments when there are clarity. They begin to paralyze us, hindering us from accessing the power of God available to us by his spirit's presence to exercise the gifts that he has given and to live life in a way that is faithful to him. And so we might expect God now to respond. I mean, what's, what would you, how would you respond we might expect God to respond to Gideon's accusation of abandonment by recounting all the various ways that he was there for them, that he was present to them. But he doesn't do that. We might expect God, maybe, to enumerate all the ways that Gideon and Israel deserved his abandonment, which in some ways he has done earlier. When he sends his prophet in verses 7 through 10, he says, Israel, I've given you over to Midian because you have worshipped other gods and you have not listened to my voice. You have forsaken me. You're the one who's abandoned me. But he doesn't do that here, and I think that's instructive. He doesn't do that here. Yet at this moment, God does not respond to Gideon in this way. Just look at verse 14, how he does respond. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this your strength and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? I don't think this response means that God does not care about the challenge because he doesn't address any of the questions that Gideon raises. But I don't think that this response means that God does not care about the challenges that Gideon raises or about the difficult circumstances that he was going through or Israel was going through. 
or that you might be going through in your life. God's not callously saying to Gideon, buck up, buttercup, and get on with it. Get on with what I've commissioned you to do. Can't you just get over all these bad things and just do what I say to do? God doesn't come down in a harsh way like that. Though he he does present something, his answer is very direct, and we might even say firm. But this is the gist of what God is saying. Gideon, Gideon, don't permit your circumstances to cut you off from me. Don't permit your circumstances to cut you off from me and the strength that I will provide you so that you can do what I have called you to do, even in the midst, even in the midst of immense difficulty. Too often we permit circumstances, just just the stuff that happens in our lives that break our hearts, that burden us, that wound us. We so often allow those circumstances to separate us from God. And we ask all those questions, and those questions need to be asked, and they need to be worked through. But I love what God does here. He doesn't answer them. He doesn't go down that rabbit trail because in those moments, we can't hear an answer. But he reassures Gideon. He redirects Gideon. I am with you. Am I not sending you? Go in this your strength, the strength of my presence. We not only can cut ourselves off from the presence of God, but too often we allow our circumstances to isolate us from his church, cutting us off from receiving the power of God available to us through the gifts that he has given to others within this body. God's response here does not permit our circumstances to dictate. God's response here does not permit our circumstances to dictate the terms of his presence. You know, it's, it's as if, you can imagine this, like, it's as if God and, and, I mean, they literally were standing apart from one another. It's as if God and Gideon are face-to-face, nose-to-nose. And you can imagine Gideon or anyone in that circumstances when the world is, is, is all up, upside down and they're just looking around, and like maybe like right now, like all the upheaval that we're going through, when it's like you can look from one place to the other and you're always anxious all the time because everything's going on. You can imagine that someone's just there constantly anxious about the circumstances that surround them. And God, as if, takes Gideon's face and makes him look at him in his eyes and not looking at the surrounding circumstances and says, Gideon, I am with you. Don't look, don't look at all these other things right now. You need to know one truth. You need to know this, that I am with you and I will equip you. I think we all need to hear that, especially if we're going through difficult times, and we need to hear it to prepare ourselves for those times. The second objection that Gideon makes is that he is too weak and unfit to do what God is calling him to do. Look at the next verse, verse 15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least. I'm the least of my father's sons, least in my father's house. Gideon's second objection reveals his default understanding of strength, of where the true source of strength comes from. Gideon believes that the true strength comes from within one's own self, like Ziba and Zalmunna. God has just told Gideon to go in this your strength. And Gideon, completely missing the fact that God is referring to his own presence, basically says, what strength? I don't have any strength. I don't have any power. Wait, God, I didn't know. I didn't know I was very powerful. I'm from the weakest. 
family in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. Who am I to deliver anyone? I'm a nobody. I'm not worthy. I'm not strong or powerful enough. And I think many of us can identify with this objection. We struggle to see how we could possibly exercise the gifts that God has given to us or how we could possibly do what he calls us to do in this world and in our lives and in our families. Some of us may struggle to see that God would even give us anything important to do or give us any kind of a gift whatsoever. I am totally unworthy. And you know what? There is a measure of truth in this. We are weak. We are vulnerable. We are unworthy. Yet what Gideon voices here is a false humility. It's not a humility born out of seeing oneself in relationship to God. That's when you see your true weakness, your true limits, when you see an infinite God who is utterly powerful, who provides everything for you. That's, that's proper humility. A false humility is one that sees and looks at the world through the lens that the measure of a man is in his own strength. And it's like, I don't have that measure. I don't measure up. Therefore, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm weak. Two different ways of coming to the same conclusion that one is weak. And again, God responds to this objection by refocusing Gideon on the true source of strength. Listen to verse 16. He does the same thing he did earlier in verse 14. And the Lord said to him, But I am with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Both of Gideon's objections, both of them, in both of Gideon's objections, he is looking at everything going on around him except for God. He is listening to everything going on around him except for the voice of God. Because it's in a, in a moment, in times of upheaval, the clatter and the sound are loud. Things are moving around at such fast pace. It's so easy to become distracted on the circumstances. And it's so easy to look inward and see our own deficiencies, our inadequacies, our insecurities, and be paralyzed. But God says in both accounts, to both objections, look at me. I'm here beside you. I am with you. I am walking with you. I will empower you to do what I have called you to do, to exercise the gifts that I have given to you. Christ Church, you can do what God has called you to do. You can do what he has given you gifts to do in this church and in your families and in your workplaces and in this city. And you can do that because he has empowered you by his spirit that dwells within you. You have access to resurrection power, the power that brings about new life, new life. It's difficult for us to hear that because we live in a world that, I mean, some people would say it's disenchanted. It's not, the objects, the obstacles to belief are huge. We don't live in the world where we think that we're vulnerable. We don't live in a world where we think that there's something beyond what we can taste or feel or touch or see. And so this just sounds so difficult. 
for us to know that there is a God whom we cannot see in this moment, who is there with us, who gives us the power that raises the dead. So how do we, as we close, how do we cultivate an acceptance and affirmation of the power of God? Really, how do we cultivate vision? Seeing the world the way God sees it. Because it's really about vision. How does Judges 6-1 begin? And Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a lot of things that we could probably say, but I think a good place to begin is remember your baptism. Christian, remember your baptism. When you leave today, dip your fingers in these holy water fonts and cross yourselves and remember that God has placed his name upon you and he has placed his spirit within you. He dwells with you. You are his. He has empowered you. Remember your baptism. And I would encourage you this week to go and grab a Book of Common Prayer and look at that baptismal liturgy, particularly at those things that we are renouncing and those things that we are affirming. Because true sight from judges is dependent upon obedience. Because God says, how has things gotten so twisted? You've forsaken me and no longer listened to my voice. Listen to God's voice this week. Renounce the sin, the flesh, and the devil. And affirm Jesus Christ as your Savior. Affirm with joy the faith that has been given to you once for all and recorded in the scriptures. And with humility, obediently obey the will. Obediently obey. That was interesting. Obey the will of God that he gives us, his commandments. And I promise you, from God's word, that that practice of renouncing and affirming will give you increased clarity of vision in this world. And you will begin to see the signs of God's presence. You will begin to sense the power of God at work, even in the most difficult moments of your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.